0: Today's scripture reading is James 2, 1-13. through 13. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in this good place, while the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of the transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, I do not commit adultery, also said, I do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you become transgressors of the law. So speak, and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. I bring
1: greetings from our Leewood campus, you guys. It is such a joy to be here. I have not preached at the Olathe campus since 2010. When this was a little country church and there was a hallway for a lobby, some of you were around for that, Uh, it has been a long time, and believe it or not, my preaching's only gotten worse since then. So you're in for a real real treat today, but we don't really know each other that well, probably most of us, so I want to play a little game just so we can get to know each other, okay? It's called, What's Your Favorite? So I'm going to give you two things, and you're just going to vote. We're going to wake up a little bit. You're going to raise your hand. If you're joining us online, you can do the same. So let's start with this, okay? Favorite color... Green or blue? So if you like green, raise your hand. Okay, if you like blue, raise your hand. Oh, blue by far. Wow. Okay, favorite candy? Okay, we got Snickers and M&M's. So Snickers, raise your hand. Wow. M&M's, raise your hand. And I think Snickers got that one. Okay, favorite Star Wars movie? Is it Empire Strikes Back? Or is it Empire Strikes Back? (laughs) Which one? Okay, yeah, that was funny. Last one. Okay, favorite pastor, Nikki or Reed? Okay. <laughs> now nah, I, I won't make you. I will make you do that one. Here's something easier. Okay, and we can just shout this one out because it's different for everybody. Favorite kid? Your youngest kid, oldest kid, middle kid? <laughs> okay, don't 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 actually ever answer that question. Um, the counseling required afterwards is is astronomical. Uh, here's the lesson, though. Here's the lesson. Favorites are fine, right up until they aren't. Favorite movies, favorite candy, favorite Star Wars, whatever. Favorite baseball team, that's well and good. Um, Playing favorites with those things is totally fine, but when you start playing favorites with people, that's something else. You start playing favorites in church, okay, that's even worse. And this is what James is going to talk about in our passage this morning. So if you were here last week, uh, you know we started this new series as a church family in this letter of James. And uh, James is a pastor in the Jerusalem church in the first century. He is the half-brother of Jesus uh, and, like I said, is a pillar of the early church. And James's heart here in this, this part of chapter 2 of his letter, as he writes to Jewish believers who, remember with me, these are, these are Jewish Christians who, have, who are scattered across the region because of persecution— uh, early on in the Christian movement, uh, and he's trying to help them to hold on to real faith. Not just real belief, okay, not just real doctrine. Believing the right things is actually the easy part of this. No, he's, he wants them to hold on to whole life transformation that actually changes what we love, how we live, and perhaps most importantly for, for our purposes today, how we treat one another. And real faith has nothing to do with favoritism. This is James's point. Nothing to do with it. In fact, what James is going to show is that favoritism, okay, playing favorites, is not just a mistake, it's not just a sin or a disobedience that, that hurts one another, which it, it does, it is that. It is actually a choice, a decision that dampens our faith. It's perhaps even stronger than that. James is going to put it even more starkly. That the more favorites we play, the less faith we have. Real faith. The more favorites we play, the less real faith we have. These two things, okay, faith and, and favorites, are so incompatible that to have more of one is to have less of the other in, in three specific ways. This is where we're going today. Okay? So if you have your Bible physical, electronic, um, turn to James chapter 2. Use your table of contents if you have to. It's not necessarily a book we're in a lot, James chapter 2. Uh, and James, as we said earlier, is writing to Jews who've come to faith after Pentecost, uh, have been scattered by persecution uh, by the Jewish authorities. And, and many of these uh, Christians have left behind jobs, they left behind homes, family, friends, uh, because they want to worship Jesus as Messiah risen from the dead, and they're accused of blasphemy for doing that. And it's, however, they, they've, they've chosen to hang on to this faith. Okay, how tempting it would have been for them to return to Judaism, to the, the 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 worship and the lifestyle they already know in the face of this persecution, but they don't do that. They've said no to that, but they still struggle, like we do, to have whole faith, to have real faith. And one of those areas that James addresses here is is favoritism. And he gives this hypothetical scenario to address the problem. So this is verse 1. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place... While you say to the poor man, "You stand over there, or you sit down at my feet," have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So, um, what I want us to do is focus on the first part of this little scenario that James gives. Okay, the situation is actually really straightforward. It's a simple situation. Imagine you're here right now at this campus, like you are, uh, and you're a greeter, you're an usher. Okay, You're, you're serving somehow on Sunday morning. And uh, uh, James basically says, okay, imagine you're doing that, and like Pat Mahomes walks into church. Imagine that. Because everybody likes him here, I'm assuming, right? Just hypothetically, there's a Monday night game, uh, so he's able to come to church, and he walks right in, and you shake his hand. Mr. Mahomes, it's so nice to meet you. You offer a few schematic thoughts on the next game upcoming. You're like, hey, could could you guys win more? Uh, Sorry. (laughs) But you're excited. This is Pat Mahomes he's amazing. So you show him where the coffee is, and you give him extra donut holes, and you take Sterling Sky, his baby, and you take, you take her straight to Jennifer Krogman. You say, your hands only. Do not hand this baby to anybody else. You, you brush up against his arm. You feel the electricity in your body. He signed, he, he signed your Form. life book. It's like, hey, could you, could you sign this? Then you bring him into this room, this very room, and you push past the crowds and the people, and you bring Pat right up here to the front, okay, the place of honor, where he will be spit upon by Reed or Nathan or whoever's speaking that day, okay? And you spend all morning fawning over this guy. And basically you do for Pat, you do for him what you have never done and can't ever do for everyone else. And that right there is actually the heart of the problem. Because James will tell you that we can favor the rich or we can trust Jesus. But what we cannot do is both. We can favor the rich or we can trust Jesus. Now, when James talks about the rich, which he does a lot, actually, in his letter, he doesn't just mean the materially wealthy, though he does, that almost is always the case. But his point here, right, is someone wealthy, someone powerful, someone influential, who can offer you something? In your mind, this is somebody who can help you. And remember, in this, in this cultural moment that James is writing in, a lot of uh, sociologists describe it as a, as a patron client economic culture, meaning that you needed to have strong relationships with really wealthy people to get almost anything done at this time. So you need influence to get that government contract for your business, you need this person to introduce you to these other people. To be ingratiated to them uh, so that you can actually get things done in life. So you you, it was frequent in the Greco-Roman culture to cuddle up to wealthy, influential people. Now, thankfully, our world today doesn't work anything like that. Okay? It's totally different. There's no temptation at all to treat powerful, influential, wealthy people better than other people. We don't feel tempted to do that. We never say, Hey, man, this person could give me the contracts that I need to make my business thrive, so I'm going to treat them differently than my other friends. This person has resources that could really turn things around for me, so I'm going to cut corners on this deal. Just, to, just this one time, just so I can build this relationship. Okay, this person makes me feel good about myself and feel popular and loved, cared for, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make fun of those other people like they do just, just so I feel that I fit in. Of course we're tempted. We're tempted to do all of that. Nothing's changed. We're tempted to show favoritism to someone or anyone, even in the church family and in other places in our lives, an employee over another, a friend over another, a family member over another. And listen, how you treat one kind of client or student or customer over another is an indicator of something. It's an indicator that you may believe, that we may believe in our heart of hearts, if we were truly honest with ourselves, that this person or this kind of person has something to offer us that Jesus does not. Well, I need this person, and my faith actually can't provide that. James's point is that when we favor the wealthy or the influential or the famous or the popular or the cool or the put-together over other people, We are showing fundamentally a lack of trust in Jesus to give us what we think these other people can give us. That's the problem. So I want us to just meditate on this together a little bit. Ask yourself, whose favor are we after? If we're really honest with ourselves, whose favor are we after? I think if we take a minute, we could probably think of somebody in our lives that when they walk in the room, we sit up a little straighter, We listen a little better, we work a little harder, we're more tempted to bend the rules for them, we're more likely to compromise our boundaries for them, our standard practices for them, and it is not out of the goodness of our heart. It's because there's something that we want from them. Let me put it even stronger. There's someone in all of our lives, I would bet, whose affirmation we would rather have than Jesus' affirmation right now today. There's someone in our lives that we'd rather spend time with than Jesus. There's someone in our lives we'd rather meet at church than Jesus. And here's the deal. We can pursue that. We can go after that relationship. We can stay in our favoritism. We could ignore James's warning here. We can do all that thing. But what we cannot do is show that favoritism and have faith in Jesus, real faith in Jesus at the same time. They are incompatible, the moment we start to favor other people is the moment we have diminished our real faith in Jesus. They, they, they don't go together, one or the other. And this is where James goes next. So, okay, same scenario. Sunday morning here at the Olathe campus. It's a week later, but now the opposite side of the coin. So you're greeting again uh, next Sunday. Pat no shows, typical, right? After everything you did for him, doesn't show up. But then in the parking lot, you see somebody show up with a shopping cart, and it's full of junk, and they walk in, and you say hello, because that's your job, but mostly you just want them to move, right, move along. They have to come back to you to ask you, okay, is there coffee here, there, is there food here, where's the bathroom, all of that stuff, and you reluctantly show them around, because you're uh, ready, and you're, you're making sure they don't take too much of everything, because you're ready for them to take advantage of your hospitality. And they don't smell particularly good, so you put them as far back in this room as you possibly can, even though it's clear that they can't see or hear very well, and it's probably not a great place for them, because honestly, if they never came back, that would be a relief to you. The problem with that is that how you felt about Pat Mahomes the week before is exactly how Jesus feels about this person. And you have no idea. This is James's point. We can ignore the poor, or we can love who Jesus loves. And here's how we know how Jesus feels about this person I've just described. Okay, listen to James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? Now listen carefully to me. God loves everyone. James is not saying that God plays favorites with the poor or only shows grace to the poor. In fact, we know there are materially wealthy people in the very congregation that James is addressing. He he explicitly talks to them in chapter 1 verse 10. God does not play favorites, but God has chosen those who are poor in the world and in the world, there by James means according to the world. Those poor, according to the standard of the world. To be rich in his kingdom. And James knows, and the, the original readers of this letter know that lots and lots of poor people, discarded people, ignored people are coming to faith in Jesus. In fact, this was one of the main arguments against early Christianity. Uh, the pagan philosopher said only, only the wretched become Christians. And they, they mention that as a problem for Christianity. And that may look like favoritism to the world, right? Like these, like these philosophers says, like, well, they only care about poor people. But that's only because the world has never shown favor to those people. That's why it looks like favoritism. God, in other words, God's love for the poor says less about him and his priorities than it does about us and ours. You see my point? James is reminding us that the very people, the very people, the same people that we tend to ignore, that we look down upon, that we avoid, that we judge, are the same people that Jesus goes out of his way to welcome into his spiritual family. This, by the way, is all over the Bible. I don't have time to go over all of it, but you will find this principle, this theme of reversal the low made high, the high made low, the poor, the widow, the orphan, God choosing was foolish and poor and downtrodden to shame the wise and the rich and the well-to-do. It's everywhere. This is not just James, it's Paul, it's Moses, it's Jesus. When the Bible talks about God's reign and God's kingdom, this theme is not far behind. The people nobody wants to be around are the very people Jesus wants to be around. Now, if Jesus loves these people, just like we love and would want to serve Pat Mahomes, James is saying we must love and serve them. But would we? Okay, Do we? And again, I want us to think about, meditate on this. Who do you not want to serve? Who do you, just, you, just don't want, you just don't want to serve these people, this person. I can't answer that for you. But again, I bet we all have an answer. More than likely... It's someone who's vulnerable. It's someone who needs more help than everybody else. It's someone that doesn't fit in. It's someone who is not easy to love or to serve or to get to know. And again, being poor in the sense that we're talking about is not just material wealth. It is mostly that, but it also means people who are hard to love for one reason or another, usually having to do with their material circumstances. People who have lots of needs are often harder to love. This person, or to serve, i probably a better way of putting that. This person, I don't want to serve them because they need so much more help. Or we blame them for their circumstances and we have no empathy for them. Right, this is the person in your mind where you think it's your fault that you're poor, it's your fault that you're a single parent, it's your fault that you're an immigrant, it's your fault that you're unemployed, it's your fault that you're an addict. So you do not deserve my attention, my love, my care, my concern. Okay, who is that for you? And how do we grow in our ability to see those people as Jesus sees them? Remember, who see, Jesus does not see them as a problem. He sees them as a potential heir, a son or daughter, in his glorious kingdom inheritance. That's exactly what James says. Do we see them that way? As a king or a queen? That's literally what, what Jesus sees. This is our last point here because we will not see them the way that we're supposed to unless we hear what James says next. So this is a little longer, verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the, of the law. So speak and so act, as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. So James reminds us that, w- that when Jesus himself taught about the Christian life, he summarized the entire law, all of Moses, in two commands: to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. Okay, Jesus says that the whole will of God in your life is summarized in those two commands. And that law, which James renames here the law of liberty. I don't know if you picked up on that. He calls that the law of liberty demands that we show no favoritism, because that is not to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this name, I pointed this out for a reason, this name, law of liberty, is really important. James does not bring this up to say our our law, you know, of obligation. You know the law we have to do. He renames it, because as Jesus followers, we don't love our neighbor, especially our vulnerable neighbor, our hard-to-love neighbor, because we have to do that. We do it because we know that our faith, when it works itself out in love, is a response to the freedom and love we've received in Jesus, which liberated us from the consequences of sin and death. It's It's a law of liberty for the heart. That's what Christians do. It's the law of God, the will of God for all people written onto our hearts. This is what Jesus gives. That's what real faith is. It's, that, it's the will of God to love him and our neighbor written onto our very heart. And James points out here, we will be judged by that. God's watching for this. Our ability to love our neighbor and to serve one another without favoritism is a sign. It is an indicator of whether we have received mercy from Jesus at all. As James points out, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. He's linking these things together. So here's, here's how I would summarize this. Here's James's point about what real faith is. We can justify ourselves or we can receive mercy. We can justify ourselves or we can receive mercy. And this last point, this is where James, I think, has been going all along. This, for James, is the real problem underneath the other problems. The real problem, the fundamental contradiction between real faith and favoritism is this. Here's a, here it is. Anytime we show selfish favoritism to the rich among us or we show indifference or outright neglect to the poor among us, the vulnerable among us, we have forgotten how much mercy we have received from Jesus. Jesus. That's the problem. They go together. We have lost touch, as James might put it. If you, if you can't do this, you have lost touch with your poverty before God. You have lost touch with your vulnerability before the judge. You have lost touch with your unlovableness before Jesus. You have forgotten, we have forgotten, that the Lord of the universe dealt with our sin on the cross of grace, right? Those two, they, they, we've disconnected them now. What we believe about God and what we believe about ourselves, we've pulled them apart. Because if we internalize the cross more and more, if we trust and believe more and more in Jesus' mercy for us, then the more mercy and love and the more compassion and service will be evident toward others in us. There's a direct relationship between how loved we know we are to how much mercy we show to those around us. Now, this is why Jesus, when you go and read his teaching, always points to the ones who who love him best and says they receive the most mercy, right? Jesus' point, when he says that, his point is not that, that sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors needed more mercy than the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law. No, his point is these are more willing to receive mercy than the others. This is his point. It is also why the poor and the oppressed are almost always examples of faith and why James highlights them here again, because they know their need for mercy They receive more mercy. It is those of us who, frankly, right, it's probably most of us in this room who seem to have all that we need and have it together, who are at most risk of forgetting how much mercy it took to get us in this room. Lots of mercy. If and when we find that we feel better about ourselves, here's an acid test for this dynamic in our lives if and when we find that we feel better about ourselves, when we we justify ourselves by saying things like, well, at least I'm not poor, at least I'm not broken, at least I'm uh, a natural citizen, at least I'm not a single mom or an addict, and I'm not on the unemployment line, and I'm popular. In the moment we justify ourselves, the moment those thoughts cross our mind is the precise moment We must stop and reconsider ourselves in light of grace. With the imagery Jesus gives us, okay? Reconsider yourself as rebels, as outcasts, as exiles, now brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So here's how I want us to apply this. Ask yourself, who needs your mercy? Who needs your mercy? This word mercy here is very close to other ideas like Love or service or forgiveness or grace or patience. These are all wrapped up in mercy. Who needs your mercy? Where are you withholding mercy? Now remember, it was Jesus himself who said, Blessed are the merciful. Blessed, there is like a church word. The better translation there is happy. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In a time and a day when it is so easy to judge, It's easier than ever to judge, to judge the poor for being poor, the promiscuous for being lonely, the immature for getting nowhere, the addict for being broken, the loser for having no friends, when it is so easy to judge. Who needs your mercy? Remember, mercy triumphed over judgment in your life. If you are here and you belong to Jesus, what you are claiming to believe is that God himself came to earth to live and die and rise again because of you And then triumphed over judgment with mercy in your life. If that's true for us, where does your mercy need to triumph for somebody else? Who do you not want to serve? Who do you not want to forgive? Who do you not want to acknowledge? Who do you not want to love because it's hard or uncomfortable or it's inconvenient? I'm not talking about being best friends. (laughs) or giving trust where it's not deserved, or not having boundaries with certain people in your life. I'm asking who needs your mercy? Because we have received so much mercy. Jesus does not withhold his mercy from us, ever, if we are his. His mercy triumphs over judgment, which is part of what we do when we take communion together. And that's part of how I want us to respond today to this message from James. So uh, if you, hopefully you've gotten the elements on your way in. And I want to set this up just a little bit. I want, uh, here, here are the postures I want us to take before we participate together, okay? When we take of these elements, okay? And if you're online, you can gather these elements now as well. When we take these, uh, if you are in Christ, okay, if you're a believer in him, I want you to think about two things, okay? First... This is a reminder to when we see his blood shed for us and his body broken for us, that we see our judgment. We see what it took to show us mercy until Jesus comes again. So if you're his, we take this as a reminder of his mercy and his promise to be with you no matter what. But it is also a reminder that blessed are the merciful the sacrificial, because they are most like Jesus. Okay, this is also a moment. And it is an assurance to you, but it is also a moment that before we go, that we are on mission with the mercy of Jesus to sacrifice for Jesus' sake, for mercy's sake. And may the same be true of us. May that be true of us as we take this today. And if you are here and you are not yet His, if you're here and you're like, I don't know how I think about church or Jesus or the Bible, I'm, I'm not sure where I stand. That's, we're glad you're here. I, I want to invite you. This is a moment for those in the family. So if that's you and you're not quite sure, that's okay. But I want you to take a, a minute here and pray. Ask God to, sh- to reveal His mercy to you. Uh, ask Him to speak to you, maybe for the first time. Simple prayer. Lord, speak to me. Reveal Yourself to me. As we enter into this time, let me, let me just pray over all of us. Father, For the mercy you give us in Jesus Christ, we cannot give you enough thanks. But Holy Spirit, in this moment, even now, as we participate, as we practice this ancient practice, use it to mold us and to shape us into the Jesus followers we're meant to be, people of mercy, people of love and service. No matter who walks in these tours, no matter who you put in our lives, May the mercy of your Son, Jesus, cover all of it. Holy Spirit, do this work among us. Father, hear our prayers. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would take the elements now and this top layer peel away, this is Jesus' body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of him. And then peel this second layer here. And remember, this is Jesus' blood shed for you. As you do it, do it in remembrance of him.